I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 279. Okay, I have a question because, you know, I've been on TikTok. I've heard of these coffee makers before, but I've been a Keurig girl or however you say it through and through, right? But the one I have is like old and it's one of those you have to fill up every time you do a cup of coffee. And I just want one that has a reservoir, but it's called an espresso instead of the Keurig. It's more espresso not just coffee. And that's what I like. I would rather have like two shots of espresso in something than all the coffee because I like all the extra stuff. So I was wondering if you knew anything about it or anyone else out there listening because, you know, I can only do so much TikToking and I need your help. I've heard of them before, but I don't know anything about them. I just like espresso when I go places. You know, at home I want coffee Mm. because I want to drink it. Like I like to drink it. Could I say drink it again? (laughs) Well, I like the shots in there, but it's mostly... Fluff. Yeah, all the other shit. Whereas I'm like, just give me some uh, Splenda up in there and I'm good. Yeah, not me. Well, since we forgot the other week, we are not going to forget this week. We're going to do it right off the bat. We're talking about Patreoners. Oh, you said it all normal. Patreoners! Okay, thank you. So, thank you so much, Elizabeth B. from North Carolina. Lindsay M. from Missouri. And Carissa W. from Oregon. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. And look, Donna put out a little teaser this week about the shenanigans that go on over there. Because we had been doing Am I the Asshole? Well, now we're still doing it, but we're doing it in a live video on Facebook. And then it transfers over to Patreon. So, if you don't have Facebook or you can't make it to the live, you can still hear the Am I the Asshole in our opinions on Patreon. So, anyway, y'all gotta go look at that because I looked terrible and y'all couldn't see me. I had a blue hue, so I had to turn on a lamp. I have watched that video so many times, and I laugh just as hard as I laughed at you during the video. It really wasn't that funny, I don't think. Yes, it's just because you're like... Oh, and you just roll out of view. Well, I had to roll because my shirt was too tight and my shorts were too short. So if y'all want in on all this action, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about this week is actually kind of heavy. So there's this TikToker I watch. I've sent her to you and Tiffany a lot. She's the one that I've told y'all about that does the good morning Facebook, like makes fun of how everybody posts the different things on Facebook. Her name's Anna Riley. Okay. And she just recently got divorced and then she started doing the dating app ones. And that's what I've been sending to you and Tiffany so much because it is comedy gold. But she's going through a really hard time right now. But she was recently in the hospital for some mental health reasons. And it just reminded me so much how fragile life is and the fact that you truly never know what someone's going through. And I just wanted y'all to know that you're not alone and that there are people that love you in this world and that it's okay to reach out for help. I don't know. Just know that you're not alone because you really do never know what somebody's going through. Well, that was profound. Again, I watch her and like I send her to y'all and I don't know. I just was like, wait, what? Because she's very open about it, like posting videos while she was in there, which, of course, some people were jerks about. But like, I don't know, it just hit me. Yeah. Okay, shifting gears a little bit. Sorry, I know I felt like I was like, this is heavy. And then I'm like, okay. But do you remember how just like an episode or two, I did a story where the victim was a stripper. And I was like, what word do I use? Because I want to say the proper term without excluding anyone or, you know, all the things. Y'all know how we do. We try. We suck, but we try. We got an email from Ivy and Ivy lets us know, let me just read it to y'all. She says, hey y'all, ask and you shall receive. I'm a Patreoner and a longtime dancer here to answer y'all's call for, is it okay to say stripper? She said, the answer is yes. Speaking from experience, I can attest the collective majority of strippers do not mind being called strippers at all. Now, if the term stripper is being used as a derogatory or for the purpose of diminishing or devaluing that human, that is not okay. In which case, go fuck yourself and no, do not say strippers. If you don't feel comfortable using that term, feel free just to say dancer. No need for descriptive adjectives like erotic or exotic. Pro PC tip sure to offend no one. Take note of whatever word the dancer uses for themselves and use that term, i.e. regular conversation. What do you do for work? Stripper. I'm a dancer. Use the term dancer yourself. I'm an exotic dancer. Use the term exotic dancer and so on and so on. Too long didn't read. Strippers don't care if you call us strippers. Love you besties. Sincerely, Ivy. We love feedback like that because we really do want to use the proper terminology like Carrie said. Yeah, so thank you so much, Ivy, for sending us that email. 
Well, you know what I have to talk about? The True Crime Podcast Festival coming up August 25th through the 27th. We will be there. Lots of other podcasters, paranormal and true crime. And the thing is, we'll be doing a live show. And then after that live show, we'll be doing paranormal bingo. Well, the festival's in Austin, Texas. If you can't join the festival and you're in the area or you still want to come, but you can't go to the festival, that's totally cool because we're going to be doing a meetup on Friday night at Star Bar and a ghost tour at Pioneer Farms. So if you want any of that information, go into the Facebook group because Cream Mom has created like a chat, like all kinds of things. So you want to be in on the know, got to head over there. Okay, one more thing I got to tell you about. And I really, truly hope that you don't know this because I want to break the news to you. Do you remember the dress? Oh, I do know. God know damn it. Yes, Ugh. my husband. Wait, yes, let me tell. Okay. Do y'all remember the whole debacle? Is it a white and gold dress? Is it a blue and black dress? Who knows? right? If you kind of sort of remember the story, it was like this girl and her fiance were shopping for a dress. They were even on Ellen and she sent it to her mom, like, which dress do you like? And she was like, I like the blue and the black one. And the daughter's like, there's no blue and black one. There's only the white and gold one and the blah, blah, blah one. And she's like, uh, yes, there is. You know, you know, the whole thing, like everybody else did. The dress broke the internet. Recently, the husband of the woman, you know, the dress has been arrested for, according to puberty or puberty, no idea how to say it, but it's P-U-B-I-T-Y, saw it on the Instagram, 11-year campaign of domestic violence and actions of control against his wife, all leading up to a moment last March when he allegedly attempted to kill her by pinning her to the ground and compressing her neck. Like, what the actual fuck? So this is supposed to go to trial next year, and he is like, Keir Johnston is his name. He's like, I didn't do it. So it's all allegedly until we, you know, go to trial and get a verdict. But, um, what? Right? Oh my gosh. Well, that kind of ties back into what you were first talking about. You never know what someone's going through or who someone really is just because they are on the internet. Or on a talk show or whatever. I was shocked when I read it. I mean, it's just because of its connection, not because I know anything about them and like, oh, Mm -hmm. he would never, I don't fucking know him from Adam. But it was just like, what? Yeah. Because that really was such a moment in pop culture history. Yes. And I love things like that where it's like, what color do you see? Mm Mm-hmm. Before we get into Donna's story, y'all, I'm so freaking excited. No sponsor alert. Y'all, we got tushy. A freaking bidet. Oh my gosh. Bidet all the way. Y'all know how much your girl over here loves a bidet. And when I got that bidet in the mail, do you want to know what we did? Unhooked my old one and put in the new one. Who are we talking about, you ask? The Hello Tushy Bidet. Aside from like how awesome the bidet is, which we're going to tell y'all about, their email campaigns. So good. When your tushy bidet is on its way, it says your shipment with asterisks for the eye <laughs> has arrived. Yeah, I love that. Because you know, you get emails being like, it's on its way. And then, hey, it's shipping. It's arrived. All the things. When it was out for delivery, it said, hold on to your butts. That made me laugh so hard. Yes, they're advertising so good. The branding mm-hmm. on fire. And you know what's even better than all that? The bidet. Hello Tushy Bidet is seriously freaking amazing. I now use a bidet. I have con... Okay, Tushy converted her. Right. I'm like, it wasn't you really. Because the Hello Tushy bidet, it did not come to play, okay? Because look, winter, summer, especially summer, your undercarriage just needs a little refresher. And I don't care how many times you wipe, when you got an infinite wiper, you're not clean. You know you're going to stand up and you're like, ooh, I don't feel clean. That doesn't happen when you use the Hello Tushy bidet. Yeah, because it's like they say, it's a butt blaster. A booty car wash and all the things. Give that dank booty a shower fresh clean when that swamp butt hits. I mean, we all get that. Like you listen to that and you're like, yep, been there. But until you feel how amazing it is, you don't know just how bad you need the Hello Tushy bidet. But do not despair because, Tushy, you can change the direction of the sprayer so you can go from your Tushy to your Bushy. And if you're like Carrie, she does the merengue on the toilet. I do. You just gotta bitty bitty bumba and just get all the little areas and it's so fresh and so clean clean. Right? I'm telling you, I will do everything in my power to only use the bathroom at home because that's the only place that has a bidet. So seriously, we've been talking about it, but it attaches to your existing toilet. A Hello Tushy bidet cleans your butt two times better than wiping and it prevents poo particles from getting on your hands. 
This is the thing, though, that I think that terrifies everybody about a bidet. People think that it's the water coming from your toilet that's cleaning your bum, and it isn't. There's like a T that you screw into the water line to the toilet. It is clean water that is cleaning your booty. You don't need any electrical to it. It's all water-powered. You don't need a plumber. You don't need an electrician. I mean, I did need a Colby, so there's that. Yeah, but Donna doesn't know how to do anything like that. Mm -mm. She's the reader of the instructions, and I'm the doer. That's why she needed some help. Yes. Best thing of all about using a bidet is that it cuts down your toilet paper usage by 80%. That is a crap ton of money and waste that you're saving. Tushy makes tons of things. They have the bidet attachment, the ottoman, a toilet brush, a tushy stand, and they actually have tissue as well. So, you know, if you're like me, I still need a dry wipe. Mm-hmm. So you're saving money on the toilet paper, like Carrie said, and in just a few months, the tushy bidet pays for itself. And remember, it attaches to your existing toilet. You don't have to use any electricity or additional plumbing. And the Hello Tushy bidet attachment comes with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. And with over 100,000 five-star reviews, you have nothing to lose. You got to go to hellotushy.com forward slash creep and use promo code creep to get 10% off plus free shipping on your first bidet order. That's hellotushy.com slash creep for 10% off plus free shipping on your first bidet order. That's hellotushy.com slash creep and use promo code creep for 10% off and free shipping on your first bidet order. All right, so I'm just going to throw out a content warning here. There's some animal harm, suicide, and just really downright bad shit that happens in this story. How do I opt out? Right? Well, you could skip if you want to. Well, I can't. Well, just go to your happy place. Okay, so let's get to it. I'm going to talk about a man named Maurice Terrio or Therio, but it's French. How's it spelled? T-H-E-R-I-A-U-L-T. Oh, It's French, and coupled with his broken French and English, he earned the nickname Frenchie. He was born in 1935 in Canada, but his family soon moved to Maine in a rural part. Maurice's parents, Emilda and Maxime, were farmers. Maxime? Yes. M-A-X-I-M-E. And times were tough, so Maurice missed a lot of school in order to help his father on the farm. You know, everyone had to chip in where they could. And because of this, Maurice was ridiculed by his peers because if he did actually attend class, he smelled like cow dung and stuff because he would have had to work in the farm before going to school and his father didn't let him shower before leaving. So Maurice was bullied by the kids at school, but more than anything, he was bullied by his father. Maxime was very mean, and if he wasn't being physically or verbally abusive, he was being neglectful and just downright ignoring his duties as a parent. Wait, what's the mom's name? Amilda. Well, I definitely had those backwards. (laughs) In a book that was later written by Maurice, he co-authored it. It's called Satan's Harvest. Maurice wrote that his father would just as soon slap him as say hello to him. Like, he didn't want to talk to his son at all, wanted nothing to do with him but to force him to do hard labor and then complain that it wasn't done correctly. Maxime and Emilda had 15 children in total, but none were treated as severely as Maurice was. He was the eldest, he got the brunt of it. But everything came to a head one day when Maurice, who was around 10, heard something going on in the barn. He peeked through a window and he saw his father with one of the barn animals. (gasps) And his father was into bestiality, apparently. And that's all the detail I'm really going to go into on that. But in classic fashion, Maurice was shocked and scared and really confused as to what's going on because he's very young, but he just knew it wasn't normal. It wasn't right. And when he tried to back away without being noticed, he made a noise and the father saw him. And so he forced Maurice to go into the barn and he finished doing what he was doing and then forced Maurice to do the same thing. Oh my God. And I think he made him do that so he wouldn't tell anybody. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what that was. And I think this happened several times after the fact too. Everything was worse after that. One day after his father had physically abused him because he didn't start the tractor like Maxime had wanted, Maurice shouted, I would rather work for the devil than with you. 
And by the time Maurice was 13, so this is like three years later, he dropped out of school because he was only in the third grade because he had missed so much school. And again, he got bullied because of that. The next day, you know, at bright ass 30 in the morning, Maurice's dad woke him up and threatened him again with violence if he didn't work the tractor properly. So Maurice's sore body was already shaking because he knew his father would never be satisfied with anything he did. And it really wasn't Maurice's fault about the tractor. His legs weren't long enough to be able to work the clutch and everything, but it didn't matter to Maxime. He should have been able to do it. Anyway, this morning, Maurice climbed onto the tractor and was ready for another beating, but the tractor turned on with ease. It's like his legs grew overnight. He had no issues at all maneuvering the tractor. He felt like he had more confidence in himself because of this. It was almost like he wasn't himself. You know, his body didn't ache as badly as it normally did while working in the fields. He could keep up with his father when they were doing logging. You know, something was different, but he didn't know what it was yet. Years dragged on and the abuse continued. But finally, Maurice was 18 and he wanted to join the army to get away from his family. And not really his family, just really his dad. However, even though Maurice did everything right, he passed the physical. His father went behind his back and he talked to the doctor and got him to change the score on the physical. Because apparently they knew each other. And he was like, no, my son needs to work at the farm. You know, blah, 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 blah. Help me. I'll help you. He basically was, you know, had a shit eating grin when he came back from town. And Maurice was like, what's going on? He was like, yeah, you're not going to the army. I told you you're a farmer. You're going to be on this farm. You're going to do what I do. So Maurice was stuck on the farm. And now his father was even angrier than before because Maurice was trying to better himself. You know, he was trying to leave instead of helping with the farm. So, like I said, Maurice had been stuck on the farm, but on his 21st birthday, he got his bags packed and he was dead set on leaving the farm. You know, he was sad to leave his siblings and his mother, but he could not live with his father for one more second. When Maurice was leaving the house for good, he muttered under his breath, Good riddance, you bastard. I hope you rot in hell. Maurice bought a bus ticket to New Britain, Connecticut, and that's where he went and he found his first wife there. This was the first time Maurice started to have some weird things really happen to him. He would go into a trance where he looked as if he was suffering from a seizure and things got a little too weird for the first wife and they divorced soon after. But he met another woman and they were together for just a little while. Things were going okay, but he would go into these convulsions, and at one point, the cross on the wall kind of started to bleed a little bit. Bleed? Yeah. And the wife was like, okay, okay, this is fucking weird, but whatever. But then one day, they were in the car, Maurice was driving, and he went into that trance-like state, and the car seemed to be under the control of invisible hands. Like, Maurice was kind of drawled up, so his hands were not on the steering wheel, but the steering wheel was still moving. Think of a Tesla, you know, like a self-driving thing, but uh, it was not something good. His wife tried to take control, finally was able to overpower whatever was going on and got them to safety. But that was it. She no longer felt safe at all and she ended their relationship. I also saw that it was more of a marriage of convenience for the both of them. They were both kind of lonely, had kids from previous marriages and needed help. There just was no like true love there. So I think it was easy for her to be like, yeah, this is way too much. Peace out. Now, some time had passed and it was then in the late 1970s, Maurice met his third and final wife, Nancy. He had been alone for some time before this, but he was determined to make this marriage work. Something seemed different and he was really hopeful about this relationship. But then the strange occurrences started to happen. And the first one was when Maurice and Nancy were in Warren, Massachusetts, looking for a farm to buy. Because that's what he did in life. You know, he went on to be a great tomato farmer. That's what he was known for selling locally and all the things. They were on the porch, just discussing all the possibilities, weighing the pros and cons. So Nancy was like, you know what we need to do? We need to pray about this. And so she clasped 
her hands around a cross necklace that she wore under her shirt. When she pulled the necklace so, you know, they could pray together, Maurice's mannerisms changed. It was like he was offended by something Nancy had done, and all of a sudden, his hands shot out in front of him, and he pushed Nancy off the porch. He jumped off the porch, straddled Nancy on the ground, and yanked off the necklace threw it into the yard. Nancy was in shock. And before she knew it, Maurice was back on the porch and he was muttering something under his breath. And all she can make out was him saying, I have her by the hand. I have her by the hand. And so Nancy's yelling his name, trying to get him to snap out of whatever is going on and trying to understand what just happened. And when Maurice finally came to, he looked at her so puzzled as to why she was on the ground because he didn't remember any of it. So even though they had this very weird and toxic interaction, they remained married, did indeed buy that farm, and things were going okay. But in June of 1982, Maurice received word that his father and mother were dead. It was (gasps) murder-suicide. Maxime had shot his wife and then turned the gun on himself, and the daughter that was living with them found their bodies after she heard the gunshots. And this news wrecked Maurice because he loved his mom. She was the only solace he had as a child. And also as terrible as his father was, it was just like there was so much unfinished business there. There was no closure with his father. Maurice was distraught over this news, as anyone would be. I mean, you heard Carrie's response. You know, this is so shocking and sad. But Maurice just wanted to be to himself a little bit. So he, you know, went to his room and laid down. Well, that night, he ended up having a dream. And in the dream, he saw his mother and father in their house, but it was through his mother's eyes. He felt the terror and he just stared at his father who was kneeling beside the bed. His eyes were as black as night. Maurice could feel his mother's panic as she stared at her husband. And then he spoke to her in a voice that wasn't his own. And when his mother asked him, like, why are you speaking differently? The voice responded, we are not Maxime. Then it spoke Latin and it followed that up with saying basically they were old buddies of his. And the mom just kept asking like, who am I speaking with? What is going on? Like Maxime, snap out of it. And the voice snarled back, we're the devil. And then the voice continued and said that they were going to kill her and also kill the disgusting worm that they had used for years the worm being Maxine. This went on for a while. The voice come in from Maxine that wasn't his own, you know, telling Emilda how they tortured Maxime and made his life hell for the fun of it. And I'm not going to go through the whole conversation because it was a lot of like what you see in The Exorcist and stuff when it's just like profanities and all the things. We get it. We don't cuss on this podcast, damn it. (laughs) But the voice did say it was time to die and they were going to see her son soon too. So then Maxime reached for the gun, pointed it at Emilda and shot twice. He missed her, but then the third time he struck her on the side of the head and then turned the gun on himself. So Maurice woke up startled and heartbroken, but also scared because what did that voice mean that they were going to come visit him soon? Things happened on and off to Maurice over the years, but everything seemed to escalate after that dream. Maurice had another trance or a seizure while driving, and this time with Nancy, she luckily was able to take control of the vehicle because they were veering off going to hit a tree. Maurice promised that he wasn't doing it on purpose, and Nancy believed him. She just didn't understand what was going on. Why in the actual fuck would he be doing that on purpose? I don't know, but I feel like maybe he had some anger issues or something too then. You know what I mean? If he's like, not doing it on purpose, I don't know. Yeah, that's really bizarre. But everyone who knew him, like neighbors, the people who bought vegetables from him, said he was so kind. That's really bizarre. Talking about bizarre... Maurice started to have more weird dreams at night, but it was where this hideous man would stick pins in Maurice's back. And the first time this happened, he hadn't thought much of it because it was strange, but like, okay, it was just a dream. But when he got out of bed, Nancy screamed because on Maurice's back were like letters etched into his skin. And then on other mornings, he would wake up and it was an upside down cross that had been scratched into his skin. So apparently the man in his dream was like Freddy Krueger. Other times, out of nowhere, blood would just pool on the floor around Maurice. 
or seep out of his eyes. Then came the strange erratic fires that occurred on the farm. It would just be like, you know, sporadic. And erratic? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. And Maurice was like, I don't know who's doing this. I was by this barn. No one was there. And then it caught fire or, you know, and they were small enough that it wasn't too big of a deal, but like his car caught fire. Well, his truck. So, I mean, things were getting a little haywire and people started noticing the weird stuff going on at the farm. And they also started noticing that Maurice seemed to have superhuman strength at times. Like once he picked up the truck long enough for his son to change the tire. Oh my God. Yeah, and he could move things that were extremely heavy without even breaking a sweat. It was like how he changed when he was younger and he got good with the tractor. And then Maurice became a victim of weird accidents, like a tree limb randomly falling on him, but like not just like a limb, it was more like a branch. He was putting up Christmas lights and the ladder started shaking violently with him on it. In turn, him falling to the ground and hurting his shoulder and his arm. And he was sure something was trying to kill him. At this point, Nancy and Maurice didn't know what to do. Nancy didn't feel anyone was safe. Her, the kids, Maurice. So they turned to the Catholic priest who had married them, Father Boyer. He thought maybe it was the land that was haunted or something. So he was like, hey, I'll come bless the house. I'll do what I can do. And he did that just the next day. He didn't know if it would be any good, but he wanted to help any way he could. Why do I rhyme so much? I don't know. Which just happens that the next day after the blessing that he did, he was in a bookstore. He saw a book called The Demonologist. And it was by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Da da da. <laughs> he picked it up, thumbed through the pages, and he was like, yeah, it's not expensive. I'm, I'm just going to get it. Because he had heard about the Warrens, saw this, and was just like, all right. But he didn't pay it too much mind. But it wasn't long after that, Nancy reached out again, saying things had gotten weirder and worse. She told the father that she had seen Maurice in two places at once. So like a doppelganger or either astral projection, or as Lorraine Warren calls it, double walking. Nancy recounted that she wasn't the only one to witness this, happened on numerous occasions, but one time her brother and her daughter and her sister-in-law were all in the kitchen and they saw Maurice in the hallway and he was basically nude, which was not like him. And when they spoke to him, he didn't answer. Again, he was just like in a trance, like almost zombie-like. So Nancy tried to follow, but it's like Maurice just vanished around the corner. So she asked them to look in the bedroom. She heard her sister-in-law scream because Maurice was in there, but he was putting on his shoes and stuff. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been here getting dressed. And he was like, you might've saw something, but it wasn't me. Even Maurice had an incident where he was looking in the mirror, but his reflection didn't match his actions, like what he was doing. So Nancy was telling this all to the priest and he was like, um, you know what? Let me reach out to two people who might can help us more. So after some hemming and hauling around, the priest was able to get in touch with the Warrens. So they decided to meet with Maurice and Nancy. You have been so country this episode. You just said him in an hall. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, at one point, while Nancy's explaining everything to the Warrens around the table, you know, just telling them everything, Maurice started to cry. And I think it was when she was talking about the dad killing the mom. They looked at him, but it wasn't tears. It was blood, you know, just staining down his cheeks from his eyes. So... That's when Ed was like, yeah, I don't think this is a haunting of the property, but maybe a possession. But Ed was like, you know what? If you're possessed, you have to allow them into your body. Kind of like how they say you have to welcome a vampire inside. You have to make a pact. You have to have an agreement. When he said that, they kind of went back through the rough childhood. And that's when he confessed that he saw his father do what he was doing. And then his father made him do it. You know, and he was just like, I don't know if that was some sort of ritual kind of thing that he was doing. And so Ed was like, I don't want to say for sure what's going on, but uh, we need to bring a team in and investigate further because they knew something evil was going on and it did seem to have a hold of Maurice. 
In February 1985, Maurice went to the Warren Police Department and gave them several rifles that he owned. He told them that he needed them to keep custody because he couldn't trust himself with the firearms and the psychic he was seeing told him to give them to police. They're like, what the fuck? And so Nancy's with him and she's like, yeah, I can be the only one to collect him. If Maurice comes, don't trust him. Like, even if it looks like him, it's not him. Do not trust him. It's only me. So, okay, I got to give you a little backstory on this. So the police chief was aware of Maurice. Yeah, everyone kind of knew him again. Frenchie, the older man who sells the tomatoes. But he was suspected of arson at his farm because remember like all of the weird things, but they could never prove how the fire started. You know, they just never had anything to go on, but it just seemed very weird. So now Maurice was definitely on their radar coming in and being like, hey, the psychic told me to turn over my guns to you. And at this point, the Warrens had been in Maurice's life for a bit. You know, they had been trying to get the Catholic Church to approve an exorcism but they wouldn't do it. It was so much red tape. So Ed Warren called up a priest he knew believed in exorcisms and would help perform one on Maurice. Now they tried a few things like holy water, saying prayers over Maurice, but the Warrens alone just were not enough. Maurice's skin would kind of bubble and his mouth would froth and his eyes would bleed. But ultimately, whatever was inside Maurice still had a grip on him and wasn't easily letting go. So during this time frame, the Warrens, you know, were trying to get that exorcism thing set up, the exorcism thing, just that little thing. But things were getting a little bit more active in the house. Objects would fly around the room sometimes. Maurice would have multiple outbursts where his body would just contort into weird angles and he would just writhe in pain, crying out to leave him alone. And also Maurice was having that upside down cross scratched into his back a lot. And people witnessed this in real time. There was even a police guy a police guy. Good God. I am very, very formal this time. Very, very. <laughs> I don't know what's and wrong with me. Very, very country. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because it's a farmer and I'm just like the farmer in the dale. I don't know. Oh my God. Every time, I know I say, y'all are like, you say this all the time. Uh, every time you say in the kitchen, I, it takes everything I mean to not say with Dinah. And the police officer saw that his shirt just started to have some like blood trickles on it. And he's like, what the hell? And Maurice had made like a groaning sound. They lifted up the shirt. They saw the upside down cross. And so this was this police officer saying, I fucking saw this. Real time saw this. Also, things started to get more dangerous and unknown for Nancy. During the night, she would sometimes wake up because she felt like she was being choked. And every time she would finally break free after rounds and rounds with these unseen hands around her throat. And every time when she would turn on the light, finally, you know, just gasping for breath, there would be Maurice sitting up in bed, looking at her with an evil grin on his face. But she knew it wasn't Maurice's hands around her neck. It was just like the pressure of his hands. But she didn't understand what was happening. But what she did know, she didn't feel safe at all. Luckily, Bishop Robert McKenna got back in touch with the Warrens and agreed to the exorcism. There's a whole lot of hoopla about the different, like, I guess, sects of Catholicism about the exorcism stuff. And so on one side of the pendulum is McKenna. The other side are the other ones that were like, no, we're not doing it. Now, it was a group of people in that farmhouse for the exorcism. And one of them was a police officer and he filmed it. And I believe this was a first filmed exorcism. Now, as Bishop McKenna started to pray, Maurice's eyes started to bleed blood again. And then there were banging sounds coming from their bedroom, but they were like in the living room. Finally, you know, they were like, can someone go see what that is? Well, it was a headboard banging loudly against the wall. And it got to where it was almost deafening. The bishop is trying to like scream this prayer, trying to get over the sound. It was just so much chaos going on at once. But they soldiered through on with the exorcism. Well, then Maurice started to bleed from his nose and his mouth. Again, entered that trance-like state, his eyes rolling back in his head, blood flowing from every orifice. Maurice started to growl. He almost seemed animalistic. His face seemed to contort like his eyes were more slits like a snake. 
Bishop McKenna asked who he was talking to, and the voice that came out of Marie said, I am what I am. Then he started speaking in Latin, then continued in Latin, but started to speak it backwards. And that's just showing off right there. I'm just going to say it. But the bishop continued on, and finally, after hours, Maurice awoke from the trance, and his face wasn't contorted anymore. His voice was normal, and he was happy to see Nancy. Like, he didn't remember anything going on. And everyone was relieved that the exorcism seemed to work. So these uh, regular Joes just know Latin well enough to know, oh, speaking it backwards. Right? I know. I I don't understand I thought you were going to do that, you trickster, you. (laughs) Okay. Now, this is kind of jumping around, but remember how I said that that police chief was looking into Maurice about the arson? Yeah. Well, he uncovered some more shit about Maurice. He found out that Maurice had raped his stepdaughter (gasps) over a dozen times when she was 13 years old. What? Yeah, and when the police chief asked the girl about this, you know, just trying to get to the bottom of it, the girl was like, it was Maurice, but it wasn't Maurice. It was his body, but it wasn't him in control. He seemed different. And then when he questioned Maurice about it, Maurice swore he never touched one of his stepdaughters. But soon after that, he entered another trance-like state. His eyes started to bleed again. And then in a deep voice that wasn't his own, Maurice told the police chief, You and I are going to be together for a long, long time. This gets a little wonky, so I don't know if it's true or not. Now it gets a little wonky. (laughs) But the police chief just happened to have some holy water. But he was Catholic. I don't know if that's just something y'all do. And he did work at a police station, so, I mean, all kinds of people. But he threw it on Maurice, and he instantly started to shake and have convulsions. So the man was like, well, is it true? Is it not true? I don't know. But I will say, after being arrested for the rape, Maurice ended up not being charged because the DA dropped the charges. Now, Lorraine Warren says it's because they saw the exorcism, and they were like, oh yeah, he was possessed, not guilty. But other sources said it's because the stepdaughter withdrew the charges. That seems more likely. Mm-hmm. The Warrens are just trying to distance themselves from someone so problematic, which I understand. Mm-hmm. Now, I did see that that was like the second time that he had been accused of raping one of his stepchildren because he did have like a five-year probation that he was on for some sexual misconduct. But I really couldn't find anything like if that was the same stepdaughter, a different one. I don't know. Any shred of belief that I may have had is long gone. Yeah. So things were never the same after that. And soon it seemed like Maurice was back to his old ways. And he was kind of turning into his father, like how he had been. And it got so bad, Nancy ended up getting a restraining order against Maurice in the early 1990s. But unfortunately, that didn't stop Maurice from being just like his father. (gasps) One night in 1992, Maurice snuck into their house because him and Nancy had been separated for a bit. He cut the phone cord and just waited for Nancy to arrive home from bingo. He had a shotgun. He pointed it at Nancy and she tried to run. But he fired and he ended up striking her arm and her side. Well, she was like outside by that time and he went and pulled her back in. Nancy said that he sat in front of her and it looked like he was fighting himself. He would put the gun like to his mouth and then like push it away and just like kept doing that. And then he looked at her and said, I don't want you to forget this. And then he pulled the trigger on himself. Oh my God. So Nancy survived, but she did lose her left arm and has some other injuries. But Maurice died just like his father did with a self-inflicted gunshot. Now, Nancy said that the times that she was with Maurice, those years, she believed he was possessed by the devil or demons. But now, you know, looking back at it, she's like, he might have just had some undiagnosed mental issue. But also, how did this all happen? Because I've seen it with my eyes that like objects were moved. You know, he was bleeding from his eyes. Like, how did all of that happen? That's where she is just like, it's almost too fantastical to believe. Not fantastical, but you know what I mean? Like, mystical. But then it's also like, I've seen things that don't make sense. And so that's the only thing that makes sense. 
But other people say that the blood and the injuries would randomly appear and they couldn't deny that. They couldn't debunk it. And when the Warrens heard about the attempted murder of Nancy and Maurice's suicide, they believe that they hadn't fully gotten rid of the demons and they just laid in wait until they had enough power to completely control and wreck Maurice's life. (laughs) You think, Warrens? (laughs) I mean, if that really is the case, like... Duh. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, Maurice's sister, like one of his many, her name's Dana, said that Maurice had faked everything mm-hmm. and that he had been threatening to do harm to Nancy. Like if he couldn't have Nancy, no one was going to have her. Uh, She said that he lied about being beaten by his father and that he was like an actor and he, you know, had had the blood under his eyes so it would leak through. But she never came forward until after Maurice's death. He became a big deal when he had authored that book. There were so many articles written about him, all the things. So why didn't she come forward then? She waited until he was dead. Um, And so people thought that was kind of suspect of her. Yeah, but if she's afraid of him, then of course she waited. Yeah, but that's the story of the possession and exorcism of Maurice Terrio. Now, if that seemed familiar to you, I believe The Conjuring 2 was centered around this, but names were changed. All through The Conjuring series, like they have shown the exorcism tape and everything like in the background. So it might have rang a bell and you're like, wait, what? So based on a true story. Now, Northern Mysteries TV show, I think that was like Canada's version of Unsolved Mysteries, kind of. It had an episode about Maurice, and I did get information from there. You can look at it on YouTube. But the bulk came from that book, Satan's Harvest, and some news articles. So what do you think? Fake. (laughs) He's a sexual predator that tried to get away with shit, and he didn't. Yeah, I feel like he did have a lot of trauma in his childhood and stuff. Just like all of the people in your stories, like the trauma doesn't negate the terrible shit they did. Right. You don't get a free pass because you had a shitty childhood. I mean, like, if the things about his dad were true, that's fucking horrible. I mean, you literally heard my reaction. Like, it's terrible. But that doesn't give you license to be an abuser yourself. Right. So old Maurice can just fuck all the way off. Yeah. But I'm so glad Nancy survived. God, yes. It was just so, like... When I saw that he was basically trying to like emulate what happened to his dad. But then if you think about if he was possessed by the same demons that his dad had been possessed by, it's kind of like they were finished with the, you know, quote unquote, disgusting worm. And so they got rid of him the same way. That's true. But like, where'd they go after that? Because don't they have to like jump bodies or did I make that up? I feel like that's what they say is that they have to jump into another body. I don't know. I don't buy it. I think he probably really did have a bad childhood and maybe some sort of seizure disorder, but I don't buy the rest. Yeah. Or maybe he had DID and that's why he would go into those like trance-like states could be which would make sense if he really did have all that trauma as a child that he developed multiple versions of himself to handle the trauma and then they came out that definitely does make sense good thinking and then also with the warrens we know they're problematic they're not gonna be like oh yeah i think you might have did you know they're going to be like oh no this could be good and we know they sensationalize everything that they've done so even if there was a kernel of truth in this, you know, like you just have to kind of dig down and see what you really truly believe. But if I'm being honest, I do believe that someone could be possessed. I don't necessarily believe he was. Okay, so my story this week is a recommendation from Creep Mom. So you know it's gonna be good. I think she either saw an article or saw it on People Magazine Investigates and it was season one, episode four. So of course that's where I got a bunch of stuff, but there was, you know, YouTube videos. I didn't find any podcasts on this. Okay, so picture it. 1991, Sarasota, Florida. Jackie Galloway was one of those girls in her neighborhood that everyone loved. She was a waitress at a restaurant and helped all of her neighbors, mostly her friend Harry Dean. Harry was a widower who was older. Jackie was like 36 and then Harry was a bit older than her. So he would help her financially. He was helping her get her teeth worked on. He even bought her a car when she was in need. And in turn, she would help him do things since his wife died. Like sexual things? No, no, no. They, they really were. It was like a platonic like... 
Okay. Older. He was older and he was helping her. You know, they just, they had like a mutual friendship of benefits. Yeah. Well. Not friends with benefits. Okay. Beneficial friendship. On June 12th, 1991, Harry gets to Jackie's apartment to take her to lunch and then he was going to take her to the dentist. When he gets there, shit's not right. Jackie lives in an apartment, like an efficiency type apartment behind her landlord's house. And when he gets there, her apartment door is open. And he's like, well, that's weird because she was really weird about closing her stuff. She'd only lived there for like two months and she was having some issues with the landlord. And so Jackie closed her shit up. She would not have left her door just open like that. That's a girl after my own heart. Well, first of all, it's fucking June in Sarasota, Florida. So why would you ever leave your door open to the elements? Sorry, a little tangent here. I've been on a kick of watching 100 Days to Build a House, something like that, 100 Day Makeover, and they're in Florida. Now, I've watched Christina on the coast and all that. They're in California. So they do like the bifold doors or like where they open all the way up, you know? Mm-hmm. California, that makes sense. But they do it in Florida all the time. Dumb. And people are like, yes, we love the indoor-outdoor living. Um, Does Florida not get so fucking hot that you can't stand it? Because I feel like it does. Uh, Yes, it does. Because when I've been there, I've been fucking hot. I don't know. Sorry. I was just like, I don't understand these people. Because I went to grad school in Tampa, which is not that far from Sarasota. And let me tell you, they have these birds, I think they were called osprey, that when they are trying to hatch their eggs, they will attack you. Like, we got emails from the school being like, because they would be in the trees at the school. Oh, my God. And it was like, take cover, walk quickly to class, because they will attack you. Oh, my God. Yeah, the administrative assistant for our people, like, pecked in the head. Oh, my God. Yes, they will hurt you. Aside from fucking alligators and mosquitoes and all the other things, you got birds dive bombing at your head. Yeah. Close your fucking door. Oh, my gosh. Jackie knew it was up and she would not have left her door open. But when he got in, Jackie's curling iron was on and then there was some food that looked like, like it had like a, a fork in it and stuff. So it kind of looked like maybe she had just left it. If Harry's thinking what I'm thinking, she helps all of her neighbors. Maybe she just popped over to help somebody with something and was coming right back. So at first he wasn't like, this is terribly odd, even though the door situation was odd. But as time passed and it's like, all right, we got this dentist appointment. Like, where's Jackie? He starts to get increasingly worried. He starts looking around the neighborhood. Nobody knows where she is. And so police were eventually called. Police take this very seriously and immediately start searching. They're canvassing the neighborhood. They're interviewing people. They're doing everything in their power to figure out what happened to Jackie. Well, the next day, there are two teenage girls that are out horseback riding. And they find a body. And this body is about 10 miles from where Jackie went missing. Now, when police get to the crime scene, it's not what you think of, you know, out in the elements, you find a body. The crime scene was pristine. There were no tire prints. The only thing that was there was a boot print. And then the body was wrapped in a beige sheet and it was tied up really weird. Like it had three different places that it was tied up. Like it was a very specific like slipknot tied very like intricately and purposefully done. They did notice on the sheet there was some like small black fibers that they were like, okay, this looks like this came from like a mat in a car. And then there was some hair on the sheet. So the medical examiner, upon examining the body, it was really difficult to tell who the body was because again, June in Sarasota, Florida, it's fucking hot and it speeds up the rate of decomposition. They did know that whoever it was had some acrylic nails that had been ripped out one by one while they were still alive. No, thank you. No, no, no. They could tell based on bruising that she had been bound with a cord, you know, wrist and all of that, and then essentially tortured, pulling the nails off and all of that because how they were bloody, again, that's how they knew that she was alive. And then she had been strangled to death. There was a metal plate in her mouth, and so police were able to use that to identify the body as Jackie's. So I'm assuming it was like some sort of like retainer or something that was in her mouth. Yeah, my cousin had one, and she would have a key that you yeah. do it, and you had to like screw it to like make it wider. At first, the investigation goes kind of slow because they really didn't have any idea who would have wanted to hurt Jackie. There was no evidence in her house that there was a struggle. There was no blood. There was literally nothing in the house or in the neighborhood to give them any direction as to who may have done this or why. Now, police did find out that Jackie had a boyfriend named Bruce. 
But like, it wasn't a good relationship. Remember how I said she was a waitress? Well, she actually worked at Bruce's parents' restaurant. He was controlling and he really didn't like it that Harry was helping her out with her teeth and the car and all of that. So when police bring him in, he actually wasn't very much help. It was like they weren't really talking much anymore. He was like, I don't really know what she's been doing. And he had an alibi that he was at work. So they checked out the alibi, even though he was, you know, very toxic. The alibi checked out and he took a polygraph and he passed. So they were like, well, there goes the boyfriend. So at the time, there was also a serial killer in Gainesville. So that's not too terribly far away from Sarasota. And some of the details of Jackie's murder were kind of similar to who they were calling the Gainesville Ripper. So the police were like, oh my gosh, did this serial killer from Gainesville move and start attacking women in Sarasota. But they do know that on September 7th of 1990, there was a 30-year-old woman named Wanda Wright. Now, Wanda worked at a cardiac care center, and one night she got off work really late. She came home, went to bed, and was awoken around midnight by a man standing over her bed in a mask with a knife. She was tied up with ropes in like very intricate ties like it was almost like well he brought the rope with him but the ties were already made so all he had to do was like slip them over her and the man knew her routine knew her daughter's name knew things about her but after raping her he left so thankfully she survived and this rape wasn't very similar to anything that had happened with the Gainesville Ripper but it was to what happened with Jackie that is so freaking scary to think about waking up and seeing a man with a mask on with a weapon. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know if her real name was Wanda. A lot of these names could have been changed for the show because the show was really the only place that I saw actual names given to people. But there were also a lot of things told to her while she was getting raped. Like, he was very talkative. And so that came in handy later with the things he had said to her. So the police are going back to Jackie's apartment to just continue searching everything. And like I said, her apartment was clean because if it wasn't Harry would have noticed like if you could tell there was signs of a struggle police would have noticed too but they did find a note that was left and the note was her in her handwriting asking to be let out of her one-year lease and remember she'd only been there a couple of months and again she was living in that kind of efficiency apartment off of the house of her landlord Terry Allen was his name unsure if it's his real name he was controlling in a weird way like he didn't like if she had people over he accused her of having a brothel what the hell right and then he would come over unannounced even more of a reason for her to have not left her door open because she was really having trouble with the landlord with him just coming over. I don't care who you are. Tell me that you're coming over before you come over. Unless it's me. I don't care who you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm with you. Like, tell me. Just text me. Like, hey, I'm coming over to your house. Or, hey, I'm going to grab this. Even if, like, we're coming to grab something outside of your house that you know we're coming to grab, I'm still texting you going, hey, we're on our way. Yeah. So the police go to question him. And they see a piece of rope, like a cord, hanging out of his trunk. And so they're like, oh, my fucking God. Is this our guy? Yeah. But it wasn't. It didn't match, and he actually passed a polygraph, too. Okay. Okay, I found this part out from one of my friends who is from Sarasota, and his dad was a police officer in the city of Sarasota. On the show, it tells, like, who these two detectives were, and his dad remembered this case. And his dad said, yeah, those two detectives were from the sheriff's department, but where her house was was city. But the detectives who were part of solving the case were sheriffs because of where her body was dumped. Oh. So about six weeks later, one of those detectives from the sheriff's department, who lives very close to her, had really been like trying to notice like anybody out of place. And he noticed a car that was like, I don't think I've seen that car before. So he runs the license plate and it was registered to someone who didn't live right there. So he calls the city police. And at first I was like, what? I don't know why I couldn't put two and four together and understand that he was a sheriff. <laughs> yeah. But after all that, I was like, oh, mm, makes sense. Yeah. So he calls the police just like, hey, can you come? Because the car was empty. And so he was like looking around to see what he can find. And this is at night too, mind you. He finds this guy kind of like lurking around this house, like looking around. And the guy's wearing dark clothes. Wait, what house? Just a random just house? Just a random house. Okay. And when he questioned him, he's like, oh, I'm looking for real estate. Um, Sir, it is fucking dark 30 outside. You are not looking at real estate. You are up to no good in your fucking cat burglar outfit. <laughs> yes. 
So while they're talking to the guy, he just randomly goes, so uh, how's the Jackie Galloway case coming? Oh, shit. And the police are like, do what? Because you don't fucking just ask that, right? Yeah, no one does. He says he lives like next door to her. And the police are like, well, were you ever questioned? And he was like, well, I got a card in my door. And when I called back, nobody ever answered and called me back. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, if you weren't home when it happened and the police are knocking at your they're going to slip their business card in. I mean, mm-hmm. I watch enough SVU, Criminal Minds, all the things. They're going to slip their card in and say, call me. But they're going to call you back if you call them. Yeah. Especially if, like, the guy from the sheriff's office, he's, like, been doing these, like, checks and stuff. Right. He's actively working this case. Right. Because this was a brutal case that really rocked the community. The police notice he's a little nervous. They're like, you want to pop your trunk? Not in the Ghost Bros way. Sit back. Oh, my God. I literally just (laughs) leaned to do it. In his trunk, they find a floor mat that, like, just the detective's eye is like, well, that could be the same color fibers that we found on Jackie's body. I mean, Spidey Sense is going off with this detective. He just knows that he's on to something. They end up arresting the guy for prowling. So, the guy turned out to be a 25-year-old named John Waterman. And like I said, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm just trying to buy a house. So after he's arrested, the police are talking to him and they're like, you know, do you know Jackie? And he's like, well, you know, I haven't really been introduced to her, but he actually knew a lot about her and her routine. Oh, shit. Right. So the detectives were really fucking smart with this because they put a female detective interviewing him. Fucking John Waterman was struggling. He was aroused the entire time. Really? So clearly there's some weird sexual things happening with him. It's all circumstantial, but they're putting some pieces together. Yeah. So with all this, they did have enough evidence for a search warrant. So they looked through his car, his house. They found a pistol, some beige sheets, some pieces of cord, a gray bag, some gloves, and there was some cord in the passenger seat of the car. Now, forensically... These cords ended up being like forensically similar to the ones that were used for Jackie. And like the stuff that he had, like almost like his rape kit was similar to what was used on Wanda. Mm. While the police are searching, the medical examiner's there as well. And in the show, she's like, you know what? I'm like an avid reader. He had a good book collection. And this book like jumped off the shelves at her, she said. And it was a book called Postmortem by Patricia Cornwell. My mom used to read Patricia Cornwell. I know. I was like, that name sounds so familiar. Well, that's why. So the medical examiner's like flipping through and the book is very similar to the attacks on Jackie and Wanda. The way they're tied up, the things that the killer in the book says. Like in the book, there's even a part where the killer breaks fingers one by one and he had pulled the fingernails off one by one. Mm -hmm. And again, the verbiage that was said to Wanda, very similar to the book. And so again, while it's like this circumstantial piece, it's a connection. Yeah, So, from John's DNA, they were able to link him to Wanda's rape. But with poor Jackie, even though it hadn't been very long, she was too decomposed for them to find DNA. It's 1991. You you know, I'm sure now they would be able to find it, but back then they couldn't. Yeah. So, John was arrested and charged with the crimes. However, because the lack of DNA with Jackie, the police felt like they may not have had, you know, it wasn't a rock solid case. It was a lot of circumstantial. And so they actually allowed him to take a plea deal. He pled guilty to the murder and rape. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Now, because he took the plea deal, though, we still have a lot of unanswered questions. Like, we don't know where Jackie was even murdered because it wasn't her apartment. It wasn't John's. There was no evidence of any struggle because Jackie put up a fucking fight. Mm. There was no evidence of a struggle. There was no blood. There was nothing at John's apartment. And there wasn't where her body was dumped either. So we really don't know where Jackie was murdered. And he didn't have to talk about it. So we don't know if he really truly was motivated by the book or that was all sheer coincidence. Yeah. When John Waterman was sentenced to prison, there were some different laws. Now, an offender has to serve 80% of their sentence. Back then, it was way less. Oh, Lord. So John served like 44% of his sentence. And in 2011, was released to a treatment facility, like an inpatient treatment facility for sex offenders. 
Wow. Not even 50%. So the idea was that he would kind of stay there forever because he's clearly a sexual deviant. Like he is not going to reform. But in 2020, he was assessed by two different doctors that said he was ready to re-enter the community and was unlikely to return to his, quote, criminal ways. So he was released. Now, he did start an outpatient program that he volunteered to go to. And according to the sex offender registry in Florida, he's living in Orlando. Holy shit. Now, I do want to say that four months after John was arrested, Daryl Harold Rowling was arrested as the Gainesville Ripper. Oh, how come I never heard of him? I didn't either. Maybe I'll do him one day. Yeah. So that guy was, I mean, now a serial rapist, but like kind of told on himself when he got called. If that detective hadn't noticed a car that shouldn't have been there, he would have raped somebody that night. I guarantee it. Yeah. And who knows how long it would have taken before they found him. But that detective followed his instincts and was like really working the case, like you said, and, you know, lived in the area and was like, no, this is a car that doesn't belong. And it's truly because of him this was blown open. Yeah. And of course, dumbass John Waterman has to insert themselves in an investigation. Right. That would be my downfall. For sure, that would be your downfall. (laughs) But also, like, that would be my downfall even if I was innocent, though, because I'm so freaking nosy. Like, when I'm at a roadblock or anything and they have someone pulled over, you know how hard it is for me to not ask why that person's pulled over or, like, what's going on? What are y'all looking for? Also, if they're single, because, you know, cops are just hot. They come with handcuffs. Well, I'm really glad that that cop was doing the patrol and everything because, like you said, there would have been no way that they would have tied that to Jackie, you know, without many other victims. Absolutely. Like, it potentially could have been the Golden State Killer situation. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe that he's out. He only escalated. He went from, uh, I hate to say just a rape because that is terrible and traumatic, but the very next thing he did was a rape and murder. I just don't see how a leopard doesn't change their spots. He ain't changing. He is going to keep doing this. And what are the checks and balances for this? Yeah. Also, I feel so bad for her friend because he had lost his wife. Now he lost his best friend. I know. Her poor family and friends. I just, the whole community, it just really broke my heart. Yeah, because she was such a part of the community. Well, y'all let us know what you think. Was Maurice really possessed or was it all a hoax? I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't know. Thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.